Amen. Well, church, uh, why don't you have a seat? Students, y'all have a great time in your class. Um, well, welcome. So glad that you are here. I wanted this morning on our first uh, Sunday as Risen Church to cast some vision, uh, to look into, to um, talk about uh, why we are laying down our old name, why we're laying down the name Providence North Community Church and taking up a new one, Risen Church. And really, this is a story, we've been talking about this for months and months, uh, but I wanted to just give us um, some vision into why we're calling it Risen. What, like, why even that name? What is, why do we land on that one? And this story, the story of this, is the story of really three churches together in different parts of our city. And it's a story of three different churches longing to exalt the name of Jesus more fully. And it's a story of three churches all laying down our own uh, identities and taking up a new one together uh, in, different in, in different expressions and in different parts of our city to lift up and make much of the risen Jesus Christ. And so we long to pastor and we long to lead and we long to steward uh, these unique expressions that really we covenant together. We're coming together under the same banner, under the same um, language, under the same uh, logo, if you will, to do something better together than we could do just uniquely on our own. And we hope to do a few things really well together in this new chapter in the life of our church. One is to help one another exalt Jesus. Uh, it's to encourage one another together collectively. It's to collaborate with one another in a very meaningful, close way that ultimately doing all of these things help us exalt the risen Jesus Christ more effectively together than we could do individually. And so quickly, how did this all happen? Like, what, like where did this all start? What was the genesis of all of this? Well, about a year ago, um, we were praying as pastors together, just locally, under the names of our own individual churches, about how can we do something meaningful? How can we, uh, we, all, we, we are for one another, we love one another as pastors and local leaders, but how can we do something meaningful that will help um, catalyze the gospel even uh, forward even more than we could do on our own? How can we even um, help overlap um, with different ministry programming that we can share giftings that help edify and encourage and lift up the name of Jesus together? How can we take our church planting dollars because we're a church planting church and they're a church planting church and can we bring them together in a focused effort to help catalyze more new works of the gospel collectively together than we could do just apart? And so as we began to pray, as we began to talk about this, as we began to, there wasn't even really a name for this. We just thought, I, I don't know, if the Lord's in it, well, let's, let's continue to pray and walk down these paths. And if he continues to open the doors, let's be faithful of walking through them. Uh, and that's what we've been doing really the last year. And God has been opening doors. God has been aligning vision. God has been aligning hearts. God has been aligning a lot of things to see this all come to fruition, and it's crazy that these three churches that just five months ago all had different names and were all doing different things. And so Risen Church Northwest with our friends in Cyprus, they're worshiping Jesus right now as we speak, although I think their outdoor service got canceled, so they had to move it inside. Um, they, five months ago, weren't, didn't have this name. 
Uh, there was a, there's another church down in the Copperwood area that didn't have this name, that their church was, uh, was falling, uh, really falling apart in a lot of ways. They had some people leave and the, 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 they, they were longing for the gospel to still be preached in this church building. And so they found, uh, they found really this collective and they said, we want to plant one of these in this building. And so that, ch- that church will be uh, launched as Risen Church in about 12 to 18 months. And Michael, who is gonna be pastoring that church, just moved from North Carolina, he and his family. He's gonna be preaching here next week. Um, And so we're just excited to see what the Lord is gonna continue to do through church planting. So so a lot of the monies that we would take to plant churches are gonna go to help Michael plant that campus or that church, a risen church in Copperwood. So we're just thrilled about getting to uh, focus resources together to help catalyze more gospel movement in more places in our city and in, the, in our lives here right now. Um, but the point of the, all of this is to really not convince you that we found the greatest church name to sort of come under this banner with. That's not the point of this. Uh, the point of all of this, the reason we're doing this is so that we can draw our gaze more intentionally to Jesus Christ, our Lord. The point of all of this, the point of reshuffling some of these and uh, taking on this new banner is so that we can marvel at Christ more and more and more. And we feel like we can do it better by doing this than we could on our own. The point is so that we can enjoy Christ together, so we can honor him, so that we can worship him, so that we can bring more glory to him because he's deserving of more and more and more and more. So this isn't a marketing ploy. Um, If it was, this would be a really bad year and time to do it, right? Um, You don't do a a marketing effort in the middle of a global pandemic that really involves gathering people. That's not what it's all about. It's not even a rebranding. It's not like we just didn't like our church name and we needed to find a new one. It's like, oh man, I really hated that graphic. I wish we could get a new one. Well, let's do that. That's not really what it's about. It's, it's not a, a rebranding and it's not a marketing ploy. It's about our longing to make much of Jesus Christ together as this church, together as this local body of believers and collectively together in our city and then hopefully in the nations as we continue to do this. And that vision and that drive and that aim um, is done together and it's done really independent of whatever we call this, quite frankly. Uh, I was reminded by a friend of mine, it doesn't matter what we call it. Um, It's all about what Jesus is doing and he was exactly right. So all of this is not really just a rebranding, it's not just a marketing ploy, it's about fixing our eyes on Jesus as Lord, the risen Savior, and following him and striving after him and being, um, and being challenged by him. Um, Shakespeare uh, wrote this in Romeo and Juliet, and I think it's fitting for what we're doing here. He says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose, by any other name, would smell as sweet. And so what's he saying here? What's Shakespeare getting at here? Well, in the context, Romeo is looking at Juliet and he's saying, I don't care what your name is. I don't care that you have a last name that my family won't let me get close to you. I don't care about that. 
All I know is this is who you are, and whatever name I call you, you are sweet, and I long to be near you. That's what Romeo is saying to Juliet. A rose still is a rose because of how it smelled, even if it's called something else, right? The Bible says something similar of all of us as believers, as Christians. First, 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, for we, you and I, are the aroma of Christ to God. We are the aroma of Christ to God. So in a sense, my friend was right. It doesn't matter what we call this church, quite honestly, um, it's really about the sweetness of being part of this body that makes us who we are, right? It's you, it's your kids, it's how you serve, it's how you love, it's how you've sacrificed, it's how you have uh, laid down your life and sometimes your comfort to make this thing happen. That's the sweetness of our church. That's the aroma of Christ, of us laying down our preferences and sometimes all of our, all of our uh, wants and desires, sacrificing, loving one another, living in community with one another, worshiping together. That's the sweetness of a church body. That's the aroma of Christ is the most meaningful thing of a church body. It's how we love one another. It's how we engage our community and love and serve our community. It's how we pursue those that don't know Jesus and how we have a heart to see them come to know him that makes us sweet. It's how we make and multiply disciples of Jesus. It's how we honor God with our lives by trying to live in light of how Jesus has called us. That's what's pleasing to God. That's what really matters to God. Not the name by which we go about doing it, it's the name for which whom we are doing it with. Alongside Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what we do as a church, who we are as a church is not because of a really cool font. It's not because of a really killer logo. Um, what we do as a church, let's be certain, is rooted and is grounded in serving and worshiping and in loving the risen Jesus Christ. He is our aim. He is our focus. So this is not just an explanation of a name change. This is a sermon. So we're going to walk through... Uh, really some vision and some understanding of why did, like, what's going on here? Why, did, why even this name? And who are we as a church? And what are we all about? And so what do we believe as the church? What is our aim as a church? If you cut our, us as a church collectively, so to speak, what would we bleed? And to, really, and to put it in really simple terms and to put it in really concise terms, we would bleed. We are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that's what we're all about. So what I want to do this morning is re-remind us and give a fuller picture, a fuller understanding of what that is. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ under the, the banner of his risen, the risen Lord Jesus Christ? So uh, we're going to race through this, and I think it's going to help bring meaning and understanding even why we're calling this thing Risen Church together. Um, so God long, long time ago, creates a perfect garden. He gives a command to mankind to cultivate it, to enjoy God's presence, to walk with him. Uh, and he says, just don't do one thing. Do not eat of this one tree. 
The next chapter, typical of humans, they did the one thing they weren't supposed to do, right? They ate of the tree. And so from that point forward, in Genesis, we, they, Adam and Eve, were born into sin. And in fact, the Bible says that our identity from that point forward is found in being in Adam. We are in that same. We inherited that same sin nature passed down to us from our first father, Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 tells us that in the Bible. For as in Adam, all die. When he ate of that fruit, that's the first time death entered the picture of humanity. And that's why you and I uh, have inherited that from our Father. So that's the bad news. That's the really bad news that sets up uh, the story of the scriptures. Uh, we also read in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, in the garden, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. The Apostle Paul says, this is what we've inherited. Because Adam did that in the garden, that is now our fate as well. And so now, this unfolding drama of God's purpose and God's plan for the world begins, and that's the story of the scriptures. That's the story of redemption. We have this big, huge problem. We have this massive problem, and the Bible calls this problem sin. But God and his mercy had a plan. God and his great mercy had a plan. And the second person of the Trinity, who is also found in Genesis, came from heaven, was fully God, and he came down that first Christmas that we celebrated just a few weeks ago and became fully man and fully God. Hebrews 1.3 says this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, and catch this, the exact imprint of his nature, of God's nature. So Jesus, the second one of the Trinity, is the exact imprint of the nature of God, and he came down to earth with, to, to be with humans. And he lived a perfect life. He was sinless, the Bible tells us. And we can look at the life of Jesus through the pages of the Holy Scriptures, and we can see and know what God is like, exactly what he's like. We can know God's character. We can know God's nature by looking at Jesus and how he lived. To see God, we look at Christ. And so, knowing that, if we were to stop right there, we have this amazing model we have this amazing example. We have this amazing window to look into what God is like and how he would live if he were here on earth uh, because he lived a perfect, sinless life. He did it. So Jesus is this wonderful um, example to look at, right? But there's a problem even with that. Um, while we look at Jesus and his perfect example, while we look at his life as we read the Gospels, and he never sinned, and he did these amazing things, we're not able to do that. We can't measure up to that. We can't follow in his footsteps. There's sin in us that still festers, even though we've been given the perfect picture of what it looks like to live for God and be the exact imprint of the nature of God. We cannot live it out. We stumble, we fall, we sin, we get angry, we fall into lust, we fall into despair, we fall into greed, all of these things, even while still knowing the very perfect way that Jesus has illuminated for us. 
And so we see Jesus as this radiant picture of beauty and love and grace, and it only makes it clearer and clearer and clearer that my life falls short of that radiance, beauty, and glory, and your life falls short of that radiance and beauty and glory. And so if Jesus were just someone to emulate, we would be in trouble. If Jesus came just to be our shining example I am in deep trouble because uh, I cannot do what Jesus did. But God had a plan as the story of redemption unfolds. Jesus came with a purpose. He didn't come just to show us the way that we are to live. He came to do this, John three fourteen through 16. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's the cross. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's one we all know or we've heard a lot. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That whoever believes in him, there's a lot of room in that statement, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God, in his plan and his sovereignty, sent his only begotten son to be lifted up on a cross to die, that whoever would look upon this one and believe in him and trust in his perfect record for their own would escape the penalty and sting of death and be granted eternal life through this pierced king, Jesus. So, how does Jesus' death have anything to do with us? First Peter 2 tells us, because Christ suffered for you. Uh, he committed no sin. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And by his wounds, Jesus' wounds, we are healed. By what Jesus has done, we are healed. Isaiah prophesied about this one that was coming. Before Jesus ever entered into the scene, Isaiah 53 tells us about this one that was gonna come and take uh, the penalty of sting of death and iniquity for us. He says this, he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. This is before he was ever, before he ever came. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, Jesus. By his wounds we are healed and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God did that. God's plan did that knowing full well that you and I would be recipients of this grace. So Jesus was our sacrifice. Jesus was the lamb that we'd all been longing for, that the Old Testament longs for, to take away the sins of the world. But is that where it ends? Jesus bearing our sins on a tree? Crucified? If we had a dead Christ, if we just had a Christ that died and was laid in a tomb, we don't have a Lord. We don't have a hope. We don't have a sacrifice that was accepted by God. Our sin was not actually paid for and atoned for. The good news of Jesus was that um, 
his death did something, but after his death, something amazing happened. And Paul teaches us this in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance. So that's a big statement. Paul's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, the things I'm saying to you right now that I'm about to say are of first importance. They are of primary importance. They are the things that you should know and treasure and be all about. So I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says, these are of first importance. This is what it's all about. Paul says, these are matters of first importance that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he is risen. That he is risen. All in accordance with the plan and providence of God. And so our church is going to be a first, an of first importance church. Um, we're going to stand on the pierced and risen King Jesus. That's our aim. That's our focus. Listen to how important the resurrection is according to Paul. This is huge. If we skip down to verses 13 and 14, Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been risen. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't get out of the tomb, if he wasn't risen on the third day, then Paul says, what we're doing here is in vain. It's meaningless. And what I'm doing, preaching the good news of this gospel, is meaningless. And not only that, but our entire faith structure is meaningless. So Paul says, without the resurrection, without of the of first importance value that we would treasure the resurrected, the risen Jesus, our faith is meaningless. It's in vain. It's just a country club that we're just kind of all getting together and maybe having a good time and planning out a few things and all going home. But it's more than that. What we're doing is sacred. What we're doing has meaning. What we're doing has purpose because of the resurrection. Skip down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And, bad news, you're still in your sin. Because without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin. And then he goes on, verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished then those whom we love that are found in Christ have no hope, he says. And if in Christ, on the flip side, we have hope in this life, we of all people are most to be pitied. If, if there is no resurrection, the world should look at us and just have nothing but pity for us. Paul says, the gospel of Jesus um, is... The good news part of the gospel of Jesus is that he has risen, that he got out of that grave, that he conquered sin and death, and that he rightfully took his place at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is right now alive, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us right now by the power of his Holy Spirit. 
to convict us of sin, to forgive us of our sin, to lead us and guide us and shepherd us, to call us who were once enemies, now brothers and sisters. All of that is a result of the resurrection. That is of first importance. That is the good news. He is risen indeed. Jesus is Lord, is uttered nonsense if he was dead still. You have to be alive to be ruling and reigning. And church, he is. First Peter 1.3, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope because of the resurrection. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says it in Romans 4, Jesus our Lord who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For by, a man came, for, for by a man came death, that was Adam in the garden. And by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. Jesus did what Adam could not. The, the Bible calls him the greater Adam, the second Adam. Jesus came and accomplished all that Adam could not do in that garden. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all should be made alive. We have life now because of Jesus and the resurrection. So what are we all about as risen church? We're all about our aim, our focus, our hope, what we're banking on, where we're pushing all of our chips into is all on the good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's our aim. That's our hope. That's why we plant new churches. That's why we're gonna be giving resources to help plant new churches and help renovate old dilapidated church buildings so that more people can come in and hear this good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and find new life and meaning and have forgiveness of sin because of the resurrection. Let me do something real quick. Um, do we have a picture of the logo? I wanna explain the logo to you. It's not just sort of like a really cool looking logo that looked great on a t-shirt. There's meaning and purpose so that it even reminds us of what we're doing and where our aim is and where our focus is. Uh-oh, didn't sound good. Um, so here we've got in the middle, the cross. We've got the cross. And it's gonna re remind us, like in 1 Peter, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that's the cross that it represents there in the middle, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Paul says that he decided to preach one thing at the church in Corinth, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So on the cross, we're reminded right there in the middle that Jesus bore the full weight of sin and death as our substitutes. He defeated the powers of evil, Satan, and death for us. And he frees us from the slavery of sin and rescues us and secures us an entrance into his internal kingdom. That's what the cross does for us. That's what Jesus' death for us. Uh, and that, that cross in the center reminds us of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, in each corner, you see four more crosses. We're like, well, did Jesus die four more times? No, this is the Jerusalem cross. And the Jerusalem cross dates back to the 11th century. Early Christians would have recognized this cross. And it has a few different symbolic meanings, but the primary one 
uh, that this symbolizes, and it's always in this four grouping like this. And the reason it's like that is because it represents the four corners of the earth. That we as Christians under the cross of Jesus Christ would take the message of the cross and resurrection to the four corners of the earth that we would go out to all the places that don't yet know and love Jesus and we would be faithful ambassadors of the gospel message to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. So it reminds us of our mission. And it also reminds us that our faith is rooted and grounded in historic reality. In historic reality. That it happened in real events, in real places, in a real faith. And finally, all the lines surrounding it are uh, symbolic of the resurrection life going forth. So we've got the cross at the center, that his body bore our sins on the tree, that the message of the gospel is going to go forth to the four corners of the earth, and our faith is rooted in historic Christianity, that the Bible is real, and that the resurrection hope goes out forth uh, to the earth so that more and more people can know and love and worship Jesus. So even our logo, we hope, as we have been praying about this and coming up with all these different designs and all things, want us to remind us as a church of the things of first importance that Paul talks about. And we felt like that logo represented and reminds us of all the things that the Apostle Paul says, these are the things of first importance. Know these things, live for these things, uh, press forward into all these things. And so we're not becoming a new church. Um, because you can't just become a new church because a church isn't a logo or a name, it's a people. And we're still a people of God gathered under the lordship of, our, of Jesus Christ. And we are, what we're doing is just refocusing our mission and our vision and we're locking arms with some other gifted and great people to say, let's do it together and let's see the name and purpose of Jesus and the risen Lord be made manifest Uh, more effectively and with greater purpose and with greater drive and with greater passion than we could do it alone. And let's go, essentially. Let's get after it. So that's what we're doing. That's our aim. That's our hope. That's the logo. That's the name. um, And that's what we're excited about moving forward into is really proclaiming the risen Lord Jesus Christ in all areas of our lives and in more places in our city and Lord willing, in the four corners of the earth. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you that we are caught up in something bigger than ourselves. We thank you that even doing something like this is a reminder to us of this reality. God, I pray that you would produce in us excitement and joy, God, but you would remind us, God, that um, we, the people of God, are the church. And that you have charged us with a great mission, God. That you have forgiven us by your cross. And that you've conquered sin and death through your resurrection. And as a result of you being the risen Lord Jesus, you have put us on a mission. And you've given us purpose. You've given us um, hope. And you've given us a clear pathway forward, God. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the gospel. We long to lay our lives down on top of that which you say and be disciples of yours, God, because of all that you've done. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your powerful name we pray these things. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship him this morning.